Amen. Thank you, Johnny. You can be seated. Thanks, Josh and Jen, for leading us in worship this morning. Um, and thank you for reading our text, Johnny. As mentioned, uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. Um, it's, been a, it's been a challenging few weeks for our family. Uh, for uh, the, the past few weeks, I shared with you uh, two Sundays ago that my dad was, was super sick and uh, he ended up being care flighted into the University of Utah here. And for those of you who might not be familiar with our journey over the past uh, few years, just a little backstory. Uh, about 10 years ago, my, my dad was diagnosed with a rare autoimmune disease. Um, initially, it, it resembled a stroke, uh, very confused, unable to talk, unable to answer questions. And it would eventually lead to him being on a ventilator for several weeks, and, but he was eventually able to come off and move towards being rehabilitated. And a few years later after that, my mom would be diagnosed initially with a mild dementia. And uh, it wasn't until we moved my parents to Utah about four years ago uh, to live with us that we would discover that my mom actually had a much more severe case of early onset Alzheimer. And so for the past four years, my, my sister and I and our families have been caring, providing care and support for my mom and dad over uh, the past four years. And unfortunately, my, my mom's battle with Alzheimer's ended in October of 2019. And many of you were here, you were present, you cared for us, you loved on our families in that time. We were so uh, thankful. And, and so over this past year, we've just been caring for my dad. And uh, midway through last year, uh, he, he was in assisted care with my mom. And eventually they closed and we moved him back in with us. So for the last six, seven, eight months, he's been able to spend time in our home with our family, which has been a blessing. And, uh, and he was just in the past few months visiting with my sister and them in Oregon. And several weeks ago, he presented signs that were very similar to 10 years ago, uh, confusion. Um, he started requiring more help and eventually became concerning and my sister ended up taking him to the hospital, leading doctors uh, to, to fly him to here to be cared for. And at, at the U, he became confused over the past several, uh, several days, weeks, and uh, eventually requiring a ventilator again. They performed every single test possible and, and really just discovered there was no clear signs as to what was causing this or what was leading. This was just the, the, the natural deterioration of his brain from the autoimmune disease. And unfortunately, he passed away this past Thursday and entered into eternity. Now, I want you to know I, I, I was encouraged to not share with you this morning. I was encouraged to uh, take some time off, to just be at home, be with family, reflect, respond, mourn, process. And, and I want you to know I will be doing that, and I want you to know that I believe that's healthy and right. Um, I, I already had some, some time planned this next week that our family is going to be traveling and but I was, um, I was adamant about teaching this passage this morning in light of the text we have before us for four reasons. 
what this text teaches and why I was adamant about standing before you today and teaching in light of this. The first reason is this. The hope of this passage is that those who are born again live forever. That's good news. This verse ends in verse 25 saying, the good news, this was the good news that was preached to you. Just like the word of God that stands forever, those who are born again live forever. That's great hope. The second thing is this, the call to love in this passage was one that was modeled by my parents until their last breath. Number three, God has given us a family in the church where we have experienced this type of love. The type of love that Peter calls these, these, these faithful people in exile, what he calls them to do, that's what we've experienced here in the body of Christ at Ecclesia. We're going to talk about that. And the last thing is this. The call to love in this passage was a calling to give of ourselves even in the midst of suffering. When we, we, we read this passage, we have to remember that Peter here is talking to exiles, people who are experiencing suffering, persecution. This is not their home. They don't feel like they belong, but yet they're still call, called to do hard things like love one another. In the midst of, of, of suffering, they're, they're still called to not only think of themselves, but to think of others. And I can't think of a more practical application but to stand before you as someone who is experiencing suffering and love you in a way that I do and by teaching you through the Word of God. And so that's what I do this morning. The backstory to kind of get us up and kind of remind you, if you're jumping in this morning, you're like, where in the world? We're walking through the book of 1 Peter this morning. The book of 1 Peter was written to about 400,000 people scattered all across Turkey, scattered and, and, and ultimately living in exile. And, and what Peter's going to write to them is he's going to start by firming them up in their identity, showing them the, the, this great inheritance that they have, showing them this great hope that they have in this inheritance, showing them that they have this message that prophets and preachers have have only foretold, and, and a message that angels long to look at. And he's saying, you, you have all these things. And then last week, we turned the corner. We started talking about, he started showing them how to live. And this week, he's going to show them how to love. How do we know that these people are suffering? Well, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 13, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now, this is a people that's in suffering. And what, what I find interesting is most of Peter's callings and encouragement in this book is counterintuitive to our natural reaction while in exile. For example, last week, he's writing to people who are fearful and he says, be more afraid. We talked about that. Conduct your lives with fear. He's talking about having fear of God. Like to not be fearful on this horizontal level of the things that the earth is causing, but to be fearful on a vertical level, a God who is father and a God who is judge. To be fearful 
And, and we're like, well, that's easy. And then this week, to a people who are suffering, he writes, intensify your love for others. Now, I don't know about you, but in times of suffering, it's hard to think about others, right? I think it's hard to think about others on a great day. Not only a day, like a, a day that we're like, we wake up and the sun is shining and we don't typically wake up, open our eyes and go like, who can I serve and love today? Most of the time we're like, I'm hungry. What should I eat? What should I wear? What am I going to do today? It is all about me and we tend to not focus on others. But here he is writing to a people that is suffering and says, intensify your love for others. Don't be self-focused. Don't be self-oriented. Don't forget about others. And I think that's what's insightful in this passage. And personally, that's what spoke to me as I was preparing this week. In the midst of our suffering, are we still called to love? Absolutely. Are we able to love? Absolutely. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, let's kind of walk through this. And this is going to be brief, just and brief. Not not. We're still, hang on, we're still going to be here 30 minutes, all right? So, but this is just in brief today. And I want us to start in verse 23, because sometimes the order of the text kind of throws us off, and we're kind of having to piece it together. Ultimately, it shows where this type of love comes from. In verse 23, it says, since you have been born again. This is, this is where, this is the rootedness of where this love stems from. This love is a, is a fruit. This love is, is a fruit on a tree that is rooted in Christ. And so it says, since you have been born again, only Jesus can create a type of love like this. Only a person who has been born again, only a person who has been given new life in Christ can love like this. Yeah, all of us can love people, but a lot of times we love not like this. We love for the wrong motives. We love so other people will love us. We love so that we'll be accepted. We'll love so that we'll be approved. We'll love so that people will look upon us with great favor. We love so that somebody else will return the favor. Our motives are not always pure. Our, our motives are not always sincere. Our motives are not always this brotherly love, this affectionate love that calls. And only Jesus can birth this type of love. Only Jesus and so trying to go out there in the world and be like, I'm going to try to put on this love, it is rooted again in your identity in Christ, in the fact that you've been born again. Tim Keller, we used to talk about this when we talked about being servants of Christ, but uh, he wrote a book on mercy ministry, serving those in need, serving those who are poor, serving those who are disadvantaged. One of the things is like having a heart for the poor is in the heart of every believer. It just needs to be awakened. Grace needs to be preached that awakens that type of love and care. And I would say grace needs to awaken. We read in the book of 1 John that, that one who is born again loves his brother loves those who are in Christ, loves his fellow brother or sister in Christ, loves those who are in the body of Christ. And, and what I want you to see is that 
maybe you're here and you're like, I struggle with that. Absolutely, we all struggle with that. And we need grace to awaken that type of love into our lives so that we can care for one another and love one another the way Peter calls us to do in this text. Robert McShann, and I've quoted this before, he's a minister in Scotland, but he said, There are many who are hearing me who know now well that they are not Christians because they do not love. They do not love to give. To give largely and liberally, not grudging at all, requires a new heart. We need a new heart to love this way. There has to be a transformation that takes place. There has to be something that transforms our hearts and minds that would allow us to be others focused, others centers. There's, there's something that would have to secure us in our identity enough so that we would be freed up to give to others. And that's what Jesus came to do. This type of love stems from being born again. Now, what type of love is he talking about here? And what, what's interesting is there's four descriptors. He describes this type of love. And so I want to discuss each briefly and then show you how the hope of eternity, because this text, chapter one, it starts with this hope and it ends with this hope. And I want to show you how that hope frees us up to love this way. So the first type of love is a sincere love. It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So we're going to talk about sincere love, brotherly love, earnestly love, an earnest love, and a pure love. A sincere love. A sincere love is a real love. The the word in Greek literally means to love without hypocrisy. And, and what that simply means is that outwardly, it's easy to look like we love someone. Hey, how you doing? When inwardly, we're like, I really don't like you, you know? Like, and, and, and we've all been there. And, and so to love without hypocrisy means that there is a sincerity. There, there is a real, an authenticity to the way in which we love. Romans 12, 9, it says, let love be genuine. Don't let it be fake, not going through the motions, that we really need a sincere, real love. I I read this past week that the English word sincere comes from two Latin words that means without wax. This is interesting. It said uh, dishonest merchants would take a, a pot that has been cracked and they would put wax on it and they would glaze over it and they would sell the defective pot as if it was perfect, brand new, real sincere. Only later, the the buyer would go home and find that the pot was worthless. And so, honest dealers would stamp sin Sarah on the pot, which would basically mean without wax. Our love is meant to be without wax. Our love is meant to be sincere, real, genuine, that it is truly the affection of our heart. And I, I love this and because this is how Christ loves us. If we want to look for motivation in how to love and, and live in this way, Christ modeled this. Christ loves us sincerely. He doesn't put up with us. 
He, Christ doesn't look upon as like, I, I gotta love him. I gotta die on the cross for him. No, he genuinely loves you. He genuinely cares for you. He genuinely adores you. He genuinely goes to the cross before you because he loves you. Christ has sincerely loved you. But not only is there sincere love, but there's brotherly love. It's the familial type of love. This is family. And I love this. Over the, over the past few, uh, probably two, three months, I've, I've met with ser- several different people within Ecclesia and, and really just trying to figure out how we best build a gospel culture here at Ecclesia. And I've, I've asked a lot of questions and I've gotten a lot of feedback. And one of the things, I've met with people who've been here since we planted in 2015, and I met with people who've been here only a few weeks and one of the things that is a distinguishing marker of ecclesia is that this is a family. Over and over again, we, we heard people, it was like, I came in and it was my first Sunday. And here's the deal. If you're here this morning and you're like, that didn't happen to me. Hey, we miss people. Give us grace. But over the course of our history as a church, I, I really would say, one, because I've experienced it, but two, because I've seen it. Our church is a church that loves people as family and serves people as family, that we have this type of brotherly love. And I've heard from people who've come and they said, my first Sunday, somebody invited me into their home. Someone invited me into their, into their living room. Someone invited me over for dinner. And we're, we're, we're experiencing this type of family that not only are we Brothers and sisters in Christ, there is a, a familial aspect to our relationship. And, and I want you to know that as I focused on this sense of brotherly love, it has given me great hope for us as a church. Here's why. My daughter said this past week when we first announced that our papa had passed away, she looked at my wife and she said, dad doesn't have any parents anymore. Like, he doesn't have any parents. And, and, and so that kind of rung in my heart. And then we were sitting with a, a hospice nurse this past week, and she came into the room, and she, she basically is like, you know, is there, is there any other family? It was just my sister and I sitting there, and like, is there any other family? And it's like, ah, this, is, this is us. Like, it's me and my sister and our families, and like, that's, that's our family, and that's it. And and honestly, in the moment, I was initially discouraged. I'm like, man, I don't have parents. Like, this is it's just my sister and I and our kids, and this is our family, and like, this is it. But as soon as we got home, I realized we had a greater family. We have the type of brotherly love experienced from the family of God that God has given us in you. When we think of, of brotherly, it's a picture of standing alongside. I, I can tell you that you guys, listen, you guys have taught me and honestly convicted me of what it means to love. As we have been in our home this past week and several of you have come by and several of you have just dropped in and just like sat at our dinner table with us, you stood alongside. That's the type of brotherly love that Peter's calling us to, that you just stand alongside, that you're with us to be with, and it, it encouraged me because I'm a fixer. And so, so often, I, I just think we gotta fix something. We gotta, we gotta do something. And, and it was just encouraging to experience this type of brotherly love. People who just stand with you. 
And many of you, have, you've brought meals and you've, you've donated and you've given and you have been a tangible picture of the body of Christ. And I, I just want to say from our family, thank you. Thank you for modeling this type of brotherly love and this familial love. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 1 says, let brotherly love continue. John 13, 35 says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And, and, and that's what I'm encouraged by. I'm going, we are going to make Christ known in this valley because I have experienced, you have expressed love for us and I know that you have that type of love for one another. That gives me great hope. But not only does he call us to a sincere love, to a brotherly love, but he calls us to an earnest love, to love one another earnestly. And this is all about intensity. Intensity. It's, it's, it's used in a couple different passages, and I want you to see what these passages are because I think they help us grasp what this word earnest means. It's only used three times. Luke twenty two forty four. It says, in being in agony, talking about Jesus, in being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. This is when Jesus is about to go to the cross and he's sitting there and he's, he's praying earnestly. Lord, if this, like, let this cup pass from me. He's praying. He is in the intensity of that moment. It's, it's earnest. In Acts 12, 5, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was being made for him, by, uh, made to God by the church. It is, it is an intensity. My question is, what would it look for, for us as the church to intensify our love for one another? And what that basically means is that we would be stretched. It means to extend one's hand or to, an, uh, to extend one's muscle to its furthest capacity capacity or to its furthest limit. This is that picture of, of earnest. And, and so like, what would it look like for us to love in that way, for us to be stretched out? And this is the type of love that Jesus has loved us with, this stretching out, this intensity. And then we got the last word, pure. That our love would be pure, that it's not with mixed motives, that we're not serving to be served, we're not serving to be loved, we're not serving to be liked, we're not serving to receive anything in return, it's just completely self-sacrificial. It's pure. And this is the type of love that, that Peter has called us to, a sincere love, a brotherly love an earnest love, and a pure love. And if you're like me, we go, man, it's super challenging to love like that. But what's interesting is where the passage goes next. He says in verse 22, all these different types of love, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, meaning it doesn't go away, it doesn't die, it doesn't fade. It's imperishable. What's imperishable? The living and abiding word of God. And then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40 here. It's a quote, and it says, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Here's basically what this is saying. Life is transient. Life fades. 
Life will be here one moment and it'll vanish in an instant. Your life here on this earth is very brief, unlike most of my sermons. Your your life here on this earth is only going to be for a moment. But those who are born again have a hope that it will last because you you have been born of the word of God that is imperishable, you too are imperishable. You too will never fade. You too will never die. And here's what I would say. Those who live this life as if that this is all there is won't love the way 1 Peter talks about. People who live as if we're given 60, 70, 80, 90 years on this ball of earth and that's it. And that's all there is to life. Won't love. You won't love. But those who have eternity in mind, those who recognize that this life is just a brief snapshot to the eternity that we get to spend with God the Father in heaven forever, in the new earth and the new kingdom, it frees you to love in this lifetime. It frees you up to recognize, I don't have to get mine today because God has given me so much in the life to come. I think about my parents over the past four to five years and I think about their life and I think about the news and, and the diagnosis that was given to them. And, and there were days where the reality of that were very sad. I remember sitting on my back porch with my mom and, and her crying over, in some sense, the loss and, and, and not seeing grandkids be able to grow up and not being able to retire and, and, and just some of the earthly dreams that all of us look forward to. But I look over the past five years and I said, you know what, it would have been really devastating to them if this life is all there is, if this life is all we get. That news would be heartbreaking. But I watched my family continue to love, continue to serve in the midst of their own suffering. Why? Because their hope is in the life to come. I think about my mom serving in kids' ministry, I mean, a month or two before she passed away. I mean, wanting to give their life to the fullest up until the very end. And so, those who have that hope for eternity, it frees you to love like Peter calls us to love. Because we will abide forever, because we've been born of the Word of God that is imperishable. So, I end in this quote, and I've quoted this a lot. But it was, a ver- it, was a, it was a quote that honestly changed my life and changed the course of my life. Only one life till soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's it. That's all we get. Only one life till soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder to love. We're well aware this morning that we are incapable of that type of love without you causing new hearts, transformation of our lives. Lord, giving us new birth. Lord, it's easy for all of us to be so protective, so self-focused, self-oriented, and Lord, you come, you came, and you, you gave of your life. You laid down your life. You sacrificed all of it to reveal the love of the Father to us. And so, Father, I pray that you would cause in us, you would stir in us, you would stretch us beyond our capacity and our capabilities to love one another. That you would stir in us the heart and love of the Father this morning so that we would love one another, so that we would portray to our world what it looks like to, to give a visible, tangible picture of the love of God seen in a community of people unlike we've ever seen before. Lord, I praise you and thank you for this church. I, I praise you and thank you for the love of the, the family, for our family. Lord, I, I, I thank you for the conviction you've poured into my own life of what it looks like to love and how to be with people in suffering. Lord, help me to love that way. And Lord, would you set in our minds, would you give us a picture of forever, of eternity? May we not live as if this life is all we've got, but there is great hope in the life to come. We praise you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.